Amarillo by morning. Up from San Antonio. Yes, welcome, welcome. The Earth has completed seven rotations on its axis, which means we are back to discuss the all things Kansas City Royal. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and with me as always is my brother. His name is Mike, Mr. Mead, if you're nasty. Why do you do that? You know I'm a teacher. People call me Mr. Mead all the time, you weirdo. Okay, Mr. Mead, if you're nasty or you're his student. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay. Uh, on today's episode, we'll discuss another successful week from the Royals, some important roster moves, and the week ahead. Mike, how are you feeling about the AL Central leading? Kansas City Royals. I am jump up and down, do barrel rolls, you know, slap myself in the face happy. Um, they are a fun team to watch first off. This isn't boring baseball, people. And uh, yeah, we're winning pretty consistently, which is great. And doing it a lot of different ways, which is, makes it even more fun. So, I think to be as successful as they've been, it has to be a, in a lot of different ways. Like it has to be multiplicity. You can't be a team like the Royals and win in one way uh, consistently. Maybe you can't be yeah. any team and win in one way consistently. Well, um, so it's nice to know. see them doing, I mean, it's yeah. great if you can hit home runs all the time, but. Well, it's great uh, if you're a team that's got three, like, you know, the old, remember the old A's teams, they won with strictly pitching. Oh yeah. Hudson Zito and Mulder. Yeah. The, uh, the Diamondbacks when they had Schilling and Johnson also ran yeah. that sort of that game, <laughs> not just through the playoffs uh, all the time. They, they didn't score that much, but they uh, pitched like crazy. Um, but if you're the Royals, I think you got to do it in multiple ways. So yeah. uh, good on them for uh, another good week and another uh, trip to the top of the AL Central right now. Yeah. But enough of that. Let's talk a little bit about the week that we just uh, experienced. We'll start our review of last week with a little roster news. Mike's favorite player, the man he holds most dear and to his heart, the man he sort of goes to sleep caressing a voodoo doll of, of this player, uh, he got sent down this week. I know that's a hard hard nugget for you to swallow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I swallow but, any uh, nugget. If it's a McNugget, if it's a, anything that's <laughs> definitely if it's a McNugget form, I'm, I'm swallowing it. So. Uh, <laughs> He's a lot like a like a dog. You can't leave a nugget around him or, you yeah, know, it's yeah. gone. It's gone. Uh, so Kyle Isbell got sent down this week. Ryan O'Hearn got brought up to replace him. They brought down, they sent him down because he wasn't getting every day at bats. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling about your your boy uh, riding the pine down in AAA? Well, he better not be riding the pine down in AAA. He better be playing every day. And that's the point for him to go down. No, he was struggling. Um, you know, you and I were kept joking uh, back and forth that, he got down Oh two every single count. Like he was swinging so early and at everything that he got down two strikes immediately. Like it's like he rolled off, he stepped out of the dugout. He's down Oh two. Um, but he, he needs to work on some approach stuff and he needs to get, uh, to work on that pitch down and inside pitchers were just slamming him down and inside with both fastballs and breaking stuff. It was all down there. And he's swinging over the top of it a lot. And when he isn't, if he is making contact, it's like weak pop-ups or, you know, the occasional like flare single, but not hard contact anywhere. So um, I want to see him get down to the alternate side, or I guess now triple A's starting up soon correctly. Right. Uh, May, early May. Yes. Early May get down there and start getting some consistent at bats and start working on some of those things that, because remember this was a guy who had never been above double a, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, never above high A. High A? Played, oh, I thought he, he got played a little bit of time in double A. I don't think so. I think he played he in the Arizona Fall League, uh, okay. but never actually uh, made it all the way to Northwest Arkansas. Okay, so he hasn't had a lot of time in the minors. Let him get down there and work on those things. I'm not worried about him long-term. The Royals have stated they're not worried about him long-term. Um, I did think we might see him stay up here until Mondesi got back. Um, and O'Hearn coming up to me is – it was nice. He had a home run the other day. Um, but I think that O'Hearn's the kind of guy that's never going to stick in the majors for a long stretch of time. Um, so good for O'Hearn if he can continue to contribute. Good for Isbell if he can go down there and uh, work on some things. Yeah, I think O'Hearn, they were talking about how O'Hearn was crushing the ball down at the alternate site. Uh, he hasn't looked particularly good in the few games he started, two games he started. Um, I mean, he home for, run, had a walk. He hit a home run, but he, I think he struck out three, four times today. Uh, I think just three, but then they pulled him maybe. But, you know, he's the type of guy who is probably never going to hit enough to, to stick you know, as an everyday player. And because he's got options, is going to be a real transitory figure this year. I think he'll be back and forth to Omaha a lot in my mind. Um, but, yeah, it'll be great to see Kyle Isbell in that Omaha lineup when it starts. Uh, that team is going to look so interesting to me, especially their pitching staff. Um, so I'm excited for that. But let's talk a little bit about the big league club. Look back at the week. Uh, the Royals went four and two this week, which brings their overall record to 13 and seven, the best record in the American League. Who dog? Yes. <laughs> the second best record in all of baseball behind only the Dodgers, who I think their payroll is probably four or five times what the Royals is. Um, Not fair, man. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how it works. Uh, they lost their first series of the year this week to the Rays. Uh, and in that series, I think you got a chance to see a team that was probably clearly better than the Royals. Uh, they definitely were during that series. But luckily, the Royals managed to salvage a game from that to end the series. And then they've started their road trip, and they've won by winning three games against the Tigers, a team that they definitely should beat. So they've already taken that series. It's Sunday, April 25th, after the Royals game today that we're recording this. Their Royals are about to try and go for a four-game sweep against the Tigers tomorrow. And they're back to looking pretty strong after what was a hit-and-miss race series. Yeah, and they... I didn't, you know, you, you never expect a team to win four games in a row against any major league team, but if there's a team you're probably going to do it against in the central, really maybe a major league baseball, it's probably going to be this Tigers team excited for that game tomorrow to see if they can do that. That race series was tough, but we're going to talk a little bit later about how maybe some of that gets fixed moving forward and how uh, they're able to do some things to clean up some of the mistakes that they made. Right. And we still had a lot of people who had strong performances this week, especially in the pitching staff as the offense has gone oh, yeah. a little bit cold, not like super cold, but a little cold. The starting pitching has really started carrying uh, the Royals at this point. Mike, I know you were really excited with the way Duffy pitched today and in the start earlier this week. Duff man. Yeah. Duff he's, man. he's my guy. Yeah. Um, Danny Duffy, two starts this week, no earned runs, only two walks and 16 strikeouts. Uh, you and I were talking before we started the podcast today, the, the locating the location of his fastball today and in that Rays game was just phenomenal. He he's really been locating the fastball and he's, his velocity is up a little bit as well. Um, it really is. And that's helping out a lot. Now the, uh, the late great Therese Paler, who we both absolutely loved when he was with the Kansas city star and nationally at Yahoo always said the contract year is undefeated and Danny Duffy in his final year is seems to be leading the staff right now. And even in that time when they were struggling early in the season, he was the guy that did it. I think they said he's got like a 
0.3 something ERA or something crazy leading leading uh, the American League in ERA as well. So uh, if he can be a, a steady guy continuing uh, forward, they're going to be a strong. They, they have a chance to be a strong starting rotation. Um, really impressive what he did this week, and I'm just bummed that they kind of wasted it in that race series. You know, um, really good start from him, and just let it slip through their fingers. But keep it up, Duff man. Yeah, you're right, though. His velocity is up. I saw that graphic they ran today. He's uh, sitting just below 94 miles an hour on his four-seamer, which is up for him. He's been in the mid-92.5 to 93 uh, for the last few years. To be able to throw a a tick harder is going to really help him, especially if he keeps locating the way he has been with that fastball. And it's so interesting that he's been almost exclusively throwing it in the top half. Yeah, he's Um, living up in the strike zone. like Up and into those righties all day long. And it's worked out really well, you know. He's throwing the curveball uh, on the outer half to righties. Um, did that a lot today. And then he'll throw that slider down and in, and it worked out. Uh, he threw a couple of really good ones of that today. Like you and I mentioned earlier, really didn't throw the changeup hardly at all. And that's been a pitch that in some starts he just leans on. I don't know if he just he wasn't feeling it today or what. He did throw the one. You and I mentioned the one to strike out Miguel Cabrera after I think he threw him three fastballs in a row up or up or in or both, he came back with that changeup that was not all that good, um, but still struck him out. So, but he didn't lean on that today, but there's been starts when man, he just leans on that changeup and uh, didn't, didn't use it hardly at all today. So I wonder if that's something he's like, Hey, moving forward. I like these, the breaking pitches a little bit better. Um, or if it was just a, Hey, this Tigers lineup can't hit this stuff. So we're going to throw it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with sort of varying your pitches as much as you can because yeah. change up the scouting report on yourself as much as you possibly can, right? Mm-hmm. They come in expecting change-ups. They throw a right-hander, you know, then you throw out there throwing sliders and high fastballs. Um, another guy who does not throw his change-up very often. Uh, and did you, hear, did you see week. the question yeah, that Rogers asked him? That was awesome, man, Rogers. Way to go. Yeah, asked him right out the gate, like, how many change-ups did you throw today? And he said, none. None. <laughs> Uh, and he laughed he laughed yeah. like i knew like, he, knew, yeah, he knew he knew that she was gonna ask and, and everybody's kind of interested in it because you know it's rare that you see a pitcher dominate with just two pitches that's really hard to do and i guess he has his two seamer his sinker and his four seamer which are technically two different pitches and they do act differently for him because his two seamer slash gets sinker, whatever you so want to call much it, run on that gets thing. so much like lateral horizontal movement that it looks very different than his four seamer to a hitter. So in that sense, I guess he is using three pitches, but he had another amazing start this week. Uh, that was yesterday. That was Saturday. Uh, he also pitched last Sunday, but that's not technically within this week, I guess, but he went seven innings yesterday, three hits, one earned. That was a home run that somebody got a hold of one, um, but he had eight Ks. And the big number for me is zero walks. He had zero walks. He had a little issue with walks last year, especially early in the year. That's when he was getting in trouble having three, four walks a game. And then he's, you know, with him, you get a guy on, you get a weak ground ball and somebody gets on and then you're in trouble, you know? Uh, and so it was good to see him stay in the strike zone. He brought his ERA down to 2.95 for the year. And he's really looking like a number one starter, even though he hasn't thrown any changeups. I do wonder if that's going to stay the case against more difficult lineups. It's kind of, easy to dominate the Tigers. Not easy. It's very, very difficult. They're professional hitters, but it's a little easier to dominate the Tigers with two pitches than it will be to dominate, say, 
the twins the, the twins or the rays or the white the Sox, Sox. Them, um, yeah. yeah it's it's, it's going to be harder against them with with no changeups but i mean i've seen it done before it reminds me a little bit of mark Pryor when he came into the league and he was just throwing fastballs and curveballs and that was it and but he had a couple of different kinds that. of fastballs can you think but yeah but he had four pitches he didn't he didn't use them mostly because his stuff was so good at those two sadly the injuries and stuff with him but can you think of another starting pitcher that had a really long run with just two pitches when randy johnson was going really well he leaned so heavily on that slider he didn't throw a lot of other pitches and he threw really hard from the left side as well well it's always guys who have dominant fastballs of some kind right and either you throw really hard like randy johnson or you have a ton of fastball movement like a like as like a uh, singer or, or or it's like a yeah one of those types like of guys just a sinker a guy. sinker sinker slider sinker, that's sinker, all i sinker, throw sinker, right sinker, like yeah. um so yeah it, it, it can be done uh I, I i i don't i question whether or not singer can get to like elite status or reach his full potential without that change up um and i like his change up more than most people do like i think it flashes plus at times i think it can do so much for him but we saw yesterday that there are times when he just won't even need it because his two seamer is so on and his slider mm. looked really sharp too. Um, and so if he's got his command and his two seamers moving like it was yesterday and his slider sharp, he does not need a change up. Um, yeah. But hopefully only, uh, he can keep those things going and maybe he won't need the change up much this year. Yeah. The only thing I would like to see, and I know this is old school, not necessarily old school, but, and it doesn't matter for him quite as much because he does get so much arm side run on that thing, but I'd like to see it down more. Even he, he loves throwing in the middle of the zone. Like in a lot of times it's like, okay, middle of the zone, but it was like a strike three call because it was started at the guy, a left-handed hitter started at him, broke onto the inside corner. But I just would like to see him down a little bit more. You know, that's my one tiny critique. And even the home run the guy hit was on a pitch that was out of the zone, a slider, I believe, out of the yeah. strike zone. So it wasn't a bad pitch or anything, but. Yeah, just a good piece of hitting there. Yeah. Um, not everybody. Which the Tigers don't do a lot of. No, they do not. <laughs> Especially this series. Cabrera's not back fully ready yet. Yeah, they just don't look yeah. great. But not everybody had a solid week this week. Uh, we did have some struggles. I'm going to point out one that it's a struggle, I guess, but who, nobody really cares because nobody worries about this guy. And that's Whit Merrifield. He didn't have his greatest week this week. Defensively, he certainly didn't. He struggled mightily at second base in that race series. He's picked it up recently. He had a good, a really good um, tag today that he put on a steal. Uh, Salvi threw, threw down to second while somebody was stealing. It was high. Merrifield went up to get it and put the tag down. That was a nice play by him. But he also didn't have it much offensively this week by his standards. Uh, he went six for 28. He didn't have any walks. He had one strikeout. He only had one extra base hit. He did steal three bases, which was good. But for him, that's not a great week. Really, for him, it wasn't a huge issue. It's just that balls aren't dropping for him. Normally, they do. He's not striking out a bunch. He might be swinging a little more than I would like him to at pitches on the edges of the strike zone. There are times when it's not that he's chasing a bunch. It's that he's swinging at pitches that he's not really going to put in play hard. That he and It's tough because he can do so much with a pitch. He can do so much with the bat and with the barrel mm-hmm. that it must be tough for him not to swing at a lot of stuff because he knows or believes that he can put it in play and get a hit off of it. But I would like to see, I would wonder if like maybe cutting back on the amount that he's swinging, even in the strike zone, because some of these are edge strikes and things like that might, might not help him, but really I'm, I'm just not worried. I think his expected batting average coming into today was 320, uh, even though he's down to something like 280 maybe right now. 
So I think it's just a matter of the bat bip gods, the batting average on ball and play gods are, uh, are not working in his favor right now, but I'm sure that he'll get back to his ways and end up around 300 like he does every year. Yeah. Not worried at all. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about this later. Some of that stuff is a function of he's doing some things to move runners that are, you know, they aren't sacrifices. So he, he gets a, an O for one out of it. Um, today it was so obvious. I think it was Lopez was on first and he took one of the most inside out swings I've ever seen in my life to hit behind Lopez on purpose to get him to second base. And I think it yeah. was in the eighth maybe or something. Um, so he's, you know, that's, that's just an O for one right there. And he's like, you know, but it's a chance to help win this game. So I'm going to do it. Um, and he's getting more of those chances because the bottom of the lineup is doing because they're getting on expect, base, yeah. right? So like Michael Day Taylor, <laughs> Nikki Lopez, they're both getting on base more than usual. And Wit, of course, is a great guy to do that stuff to move runners to footballs in play behind runners and things like that, or even to sacri- try and hit hit him hit a sacrifice fly or something like that, which he's had more oh, yeah. opportunities he to can do. do that um, for sure. But that's going to sort of weaken the stat line a little bit. But I'm not worried about him about him at all. I think he's still gonna end up right where we would expect him to be. Around 200 hits. Yep. Mm-hmm. 200 hit wit. 200 hit. 200 wit. hit wit. I love that his his nickname sounds very old timey to me. Hey, it's old <laughs> two hit wit. Oh, two. <laughs> like three finger Mordecai Brown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why do you call him that? Does he always get two hits? No, there's a much weirder and darker story behind it. <laughs> It's always the way it is. Why do you call him Three Finger Mordecai Brown? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a dark story. He only has three fingers. Let's right. just say he only has three fingers. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we'll see. On Chainsaw McGruff over here. What? <laughs> sometimes, uh, we, sometimes we got to do a spotlight on the best nicknames in baseball uh, history. We'll do best nicknames only and best baseball. Names. Oh yeah, of course. Because we saw we saw an eighty grade name this week with Buck Farmer. The Buck Farmer, for the, love the, the, Buck I love Farmer. it. That's like my favorite name in the major. Can you grow up it. with the name Buck Farmer and not just be a total badass? You better be tough as shit. He he wrestles people at truck stops on the weekends. I think. I, I bet think he that's does. His thing. Yeah, yeah, he better. Buck uh, Farmer. <laughs> uh, back to the baseball, Mike. What stood out to you this week that you want to talk about? Um. So last week. I hate to toot our own horn here, but we're going to toot the heck out of that thing. Dude, I take uh, every win I can get. That's right, because they ain't coming by every day. Um, last week, we broke down how teams win close games, right? And it started with bullpen, and we talked a lot about playing small ball and managerial decisions and things like that. The, the Royals went ahead and just went out and did that for us this week. The games that they won were close, and they're, they're undefeated in one-run baseball games right now. But they were all close, and they did it with that small ball kind of stuff and a bullpen that gave up no earned runs this week. So, I mean, they just went out and proved us right. Nikki Lopez bunting here and there. Sometimes not always late in the game either. Uh, we just mentioned Whit Merrifield hitting behind a runner to move him into scoring position, stealing bases, all of that stuff that they were doing. And you're just like, whoa. And things like uh, Ben Intendi, you know, giving you a little bit of an advantage on the base path, even when he's not hitting even if it goes over four that day, it, it was, it was really fun to see that kind of stuff. And it is sustainable for a team like this that is built to play that style of baseball. The Royals have been playing small ball ever since forever. And uh, they, they're going to have to keep doing it and winning those close games with their bullpen, 
with that sort of small ball. Michael A. Taylor's hitting the ball the other direction because they're shifting on him, and he's getting on base like crazy that way. Um, just taking that stuff uh, and being an unselfish team and doing it, and it's great. It's fun to watch, and uh, if that continues to go, they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, I think so too, and and I think you saw today Lopez bunted in the fifth inning yeah. when it was, it was still like nothing, nothing. Bunt, and it looked like it was going to be well. It was this is the re, this is the thing I like about the way they play quote unquote small ball. Um, to me, small ball indicates you're doing a lot of sacrificing. You're doing a lot of like bunting, giving away outs in order yeah. to move runners. And to me, moving runners, giving away outs to move runners makes no sense. But what does make sense is leveraging percentages if that makes sense and so yeah. nicky lopez is not a strong hitter um, but he does have the capacity to bunt for a base hit so there's a difference between bunting for a base hit that in worst case scenario ends up being a sacrifice than just say sacrifice bunting right yeah. uh, those are two in my mind two different things and one of those is good baseball strategy and one of them is bad baseball strategy one so, thing yeah. i didn't even mention the squeeze play the other night yeah with Dyson go, gets up there and gosh, did he steal? I can't remember. Did he steal it was, second? It was a, he stole no, 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 second he got, or third. He got moved to second, I think, and then stole third, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Is that how it worked? I don't know. He had a he had a steal in there and they mm-hmm. squeezed him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like that is that's college baseball. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's not... college baseball. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's really working out cool well for them right now. And I like that they're taking smart moments to do it, right? Smart moments to hit and run, smart moments to squeeze and things like that. They're not like a sacrifice bunt in the first inning. If I see that from anybody, I'm going to be very disappointed. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Any uh, major so, league team these days. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. There's no, there's no. But yeah, I like that they're doing the little things to win those close games. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We're close to 100 followers on Twitter. You could be that hundredth. In the Rays series, we got to see the difference between a championship-caliber team and the Royals. Now, that's not to say that the Royals aren't good. They clearly are. But there are some noticeable differences between the two teams in that series, and the most glaring was on defense. The Royals lost the first two games of that series in what were two pretty uncompetitive games, and a significant factor in that was poor defensive play. Coming into Sunday, the Royals were 23rd in defensive runs saved at minus five. And if you watch every game like we do, it's clear that they've made some mistakes defensively. Mike, what's causing these defensive issues and what can the Royals do to fix them? Because we've been Royals fans for longer than a day, the standard for defensive play for the Kansas City Royals is extremely high. We go back to those 2014, 15, and 16 teams that were extremely good on defense. So we kind of sat back and did like an inventory from those years, where would you say, or how many positions would you say the Royals have taken a step down or a step back defensively from those teams? And we kind of just came up with a list. Left field is extremely obvious. Alex Gordon was a multi-year gold glove winner in left field, uh, platinum glove, whatever they give out now. Maybe the, the best defensive left fielder of all time. Uh, certainly of his time, of his generation, right? I know people mm-hmm. try and pump up Brett Gardner, but he's terrible compared to Alex Gordon. First base is a step down. Carlos Obviously, Santana is not the first place baseman that Hosmer was. Third base, Hunter Dozier isn't the third baseman that Moustakas was. Uh, right field, 
you know, we had different right fielders at those times, but Dyson played some right field. Alex Rios played some right field. Alex Rios was a very good, or good right was fielder, a, right? at least an average and slightly above average, I would say, right yeah, fielder. Yeah, not, not a bad right fielder at all. So whoever we put out there, it's a step back. And then second base, you know, at <laughs> we had different guys at second base, but we always had solid defenders at second base, you know? Um, Bum Fonte. Huh? Omar, Omar Infante. Infante. Omar. Yeah. He, was, he was a good second baseman. He, he was a right. pretty good defensive second, second baseman. baseman. Yeah. Zobrist, when he came over, obviously a good, good second baseman. Even Chris Getz uh, was, a, was a solid defensive player. He did nothing offensively for you, but he was a solid defensive player. So we've taken quite a few steps back at a lot of different positions. Now, you're looking at there's some things like, what do you do with Whit Merrifield, right? He struggled mightily in that race series at second base. You have to start asking the question, is Whit Merrifield still the second baseman that he was in 17 and 18? I'm not sure that he is. We've played him so many different places. He's played outfield pretty much exclusively for 2020, almost almost exclusively. And 2019, he was pretty heavily in the outfield as well. Is he just not going to be the second baseman that he ever was? You know, you like Mondesi when he comes back. If you move Lopez to second base, you now have a, a much better defensive setup up the middle right it's just hard to answer that because you're not going to get a whole lot better in the outfield and yeah i just don't know i don't know what the answer is defensively yeah i think the interesting thing about like moving wit out of second base when mondesi comes back if mondesi goes to short and lopez goes to second that's your best middle infield combo right Mm -hmm. obviously then wit probably goes to right field is he, um, he might be your best right field option, honestly. Maybe at this point. And Isbell would have been, I think, had he stayed. He's a really good outfielder. I don't think yeah. people give him enough credit for how good of an outfielder he is. He gets the best jumps and takes great routes. I mean, he is yeah. not, he's not as fast as he looks in the outfield because it, he, you snap your fingers and he's at the ball, but it doesn't look like he's running hard because he's not because he just got a great jump on it, right? Like, yeah. um, so he's, he's a guy who I think is a really good outfielder. I think the metrics are going to love him when he gets – a longer track record in the outfield. But yes, at this point, I think Witt probably is your best answer in right field. The downside is Witt is now 32 years old, I think, maybe 33. That's not super young. And playing in the outfield takes a greater toll on your body. Um, and so like we have to ask ourselves, is that worth it? Is, is he, he's probably not going to be as good in the outfield as he has been in years past. And it may end up sort of harming his ability to stay consistently healthy and stay, you know, uh, stay at peak performance offensively if he's out there trying to chase down fly balls all the time. Yeah. And and I think we've kind of heard from the Royals that he wants to play second base, but what he wants and what's best for the team may not necessarily be meshing there. Um, Yeah. And I think, I think though, ultimately he's a team guy and will do whatever is best. Uh, If Mondesi comes back and it looks like he can read, he can read the writing on the wall. He can tell like, okay, our best lineup is, maybe having Lopez at second and me at, uh, in right field, then I think he'll do whatever helps the team win. Um, but the thing that I think about constantly is, is that question of what is their best offense or defensive lineup? And are they sacrificing offense if they try and do it? Like, I, I do like that uh, Matheny has been leaning into defensive replacements heavily in the, in the later Maybe innings. I like having Gerard Dyson in there. I like getting, I think Alberto is probably a better third baseman than Hunter oh, Dozier. Yeah. And I wasn't I think, high on him at third, but I think he is actually a pretty good third baseman. Uh, yeah, he's don't love his range at short. Don't love but, his range at short either. But but uh, but at third, he's he's got quick hands, and he makes a good throw across the diamond. So, but 
I think he is a slight upgrade uh, over Dozier there. Yeah. And, and you can think about like, well, long-term, what does this look like? Like, I think they have the potential to get better long-term defensively. One, I think last week was also just sort of a blip. They had some bad games, like Santana drops that ball. Oh, uh, that was, that was so bad. Uh, Wit makes a couple uh, mistakes that are uncharacteristic of him and that sort of thing. I think it's just a bad stretch to some degree, right? So we need to sort of make sure we're putting that in perspective that it's it's short sample of only 20 games um, up to this point. And they had a one really bad week in there and a couple of bad games previous to that. But throughout the rest of the season, you're going to see probably Mondesi come back at some point. You might see Bobby Witt Jr. come up at some point. You might see Kyle Isbell come back at some point. These are three really good defenders. And yeah. there's a good chance that in some way they supplement your team in terms defensively. Well, and down if we're looking like long-term down the road, you could end up with a situation where it's Nicky Lopez at second, um, Mondesi at short, Bobby Witt Jr. at third, and maybe even Dozier at first. And you got to think as a third baseman with those hands and footwork, he had, would at least have the athletic ability to become a, bit, a strong first defensive first baseman. So then your infield at least is pretty well taken care of. You add a piece like Isbell to the outfield that improves the defense in the outfield, uh, assuming you can find some sort of center field piece. Isbell's probably not your permanent center field piece. I don't know that Nicky Lopez is your permanent second baseman. Um, yeah, maybe not. I, I think it might be maybe more not. likely that they treat Lopez like a super utility infielder yeah. and then have him sort of be a technically a bench player, but who plays three to four times a week. And when Bobby Wood Jr. is ready, he comes up and plays second. second. Mm. My preference would be he plays short, honestly. I, I would don't keep him short. I would move Mondesi to second. Mondesi. I don't think so either, but I think there's value in having Bobby Wood Jr. there every day and having him play the position he's most familiar with. Right. I don't want him, like people are talking about moving him to the outfield and things like that. And I get that decision. I don't want to do that. Your defense can sometimes impact your offense. And I don't want his offense develop offensive development hindered by the fact that he's trying to learn a new position in the outfield. I want him playing the position that will allow him to hit the most because that's what his value is going to be to the team. Right. So, and Mondesi love him, love the potential. The man gets hurt all the time. The other day, um, Alec Lewis did an interview with uh, JJ Piccolo, the Royals. Um, I don't know what his official title is, but it's like Play, yeah, he's like the player uh, something about head of player guy. development, director of player development, or something like that. And uh, Piccolo, he asked about Bobby Wood Jr. and what position he would play. Uh, and Piccolo sort of backtracked on the him playing center. He was like, he's going to play shortstop. And I was like, and then he said, and he might play some in center. And I was like, I think that, I think that statement is about. Adalberto Mondesi being hurt right now is about the fact that they do not trust him to stay healthy. And if you can't trust him to stay healthy, I don't know that I want to be shifting Bobby Witt Jr. back and forth between second and short as he fills in at short because Mondesi's hurt or he goes, you know, just keep him at short, have Mondesi play second. Uh, it's fine. Right. Like, yeah. uh, and so that, that's my preference, but we'll see as, as things sort of develop, but I think they have the potential to iron out their defensive issues right now and be a really good defensive team. Uh, as as things move forward, and and one of the things that we we really do have to ask is is any of this even important? Does it really matter mm. if the Royals have a good defense or not? And I know we're all married to it because that's one of the ways that they won the World Series in 2015. But this is a very different team than those teams were. They're going to be able to win games other ways. They're going to be able to get a three run home run from time to time when they need it. They're going to be able to walk. Damn it. Okay, and. Uh, <laughs> 
So, you know, the Royals are winning right now. They're, you know, like I think you said 23rd as of Sunday. I thought they mentioned on the broadcast they were 29th or something in Major League Baseball. So I don't know. But, yeah, do they really need to to have a, a, a top 10 defense anymore? Yeah, and it, it might be might ultimately be fine if it's, you know, middle of the pack or something like that. As long as yeah. they're not making these key defensive mistakes that are costing them games. Like um, they did in that Duffy like start. Like they did in, in the Rays series, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they should be okay. They may not be, you know, Kane, Escobar, Hosmer, Mustakas, that whole crew. Red. But which I guess is may, still here, but yeah, but but maybe they'll do some other things that make up for that. And the pitching staff may ultimately be better too. So Singer, yeah. they may be more strikeout oriented too, which will make it less important that their defense is very good, right? Yeah, and um, I hope what this does for us as Royals fans is that we really look back and go, "Holy crap, that was a phenomenal defensive baseball team in 2015 when they won it, in 2014 when they went to the World Series." Those teams. I mean, think about the number of gold gloves you could have put out on those teams. I mean, I didn't think Moustakas ever got the credit he deserved at third um, for how well he played that position. You know, Hosmer often, you know, the metrics hate him sometimes, but he plays a phenomenal first base, and you really notice it now that you don't have him. But man, just how good was that team defensively? Unreal. When you could roll out Gerard Dyson, Lorenzo Cain, and Alex Gordon in your outfield, that's special. That's like really, yeah. really special. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think ultimately the defensive issues will start to iron themselves out, and that that'll be important as they move forward. Even if they can do some of these other things a little bit better, the Royals will spend this week on the road as part of a nine-game road trip. They'll go for a sweep in a four-game series against the Tigers on Monday, so tomorrow for us. They'll go to Pittsburgh for a short two-game series there, and then finish the week with a couple of games in Minnesota against a struggling Twins team. Uh, Tomorrow in the Tigers game, it'll be the end of their four-game set. Uh, Brad Keller versus Spencer Turnbull. Turnbull's a 28-year-old right-hander, a guy who found success last year in that shortened season. After a couple of mediocre seasons in the big leagues, uh, he's only had one start so far this year, and he did well. He went five innings, gave up only one run on two hits. He's a fastball slider sinker guy. Uh, so we'll see if the Royals throw out a lot of lefties for that, for that game tomorrow. Maybe they'll have, they'll certainly have Lopez in there. Maybe they'll throw, maybe they'll let O'Hearn start again at DH uh, and that's or start somewhere. Yeah. Without we'll his bell, it gives you a little bit less left-handed flexibility. Um, but yeah, you expect to maybe see O'Hearn in there. Yeah. I wonder, you know, you know, Turnbull's looking to uh, throw that slider against Perez, who I think swung at one that was, six feet outside today <laughs> I mean, like uh, he's gonna throw so, him to uh he's gonna throw him to solaire too a lot solaire um uh who else what other righties all the righties are going to be seeing a lot of sliders tomorrow so we'll see how that turns out hopefully they can turn the offense on it's been a little a little anemic against the tigers who have rolled out a better pitching staff than i thought maybe they would um, i really you know i know uh fulmer started today and he's okay i mean he doesn't throw nearly as hard as when he first came in but um I like Scooble, the guy they brought in after him. They did kind of a tandem thing today. Scooble is a starter. He's not – I don't think he's a bullpen guy. I really like him. I like him. his future. I think he's going to be a good pitcher for them for a long time. And, uh, yeah, the Royals got two against him. I think it was against him. Yes, no, it might, he, he might have gotten out by then. But No, I think it was against him. Was it against him? Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I still think he's going to be a good pitcher. 
After that, they'll continue the road trip against the Pirates. Uh, for the first matchup there, we have Jacob Junis against Tyler Anderson. Anderson's a 31-year-old lefty out of Oregon. He um, had some early success in Colorado when he broke into the league, but it didn't hold. He had sort of one hot year in 2016, and since then he struggled. Uh, he had a few years uh, where in, in Colorado where, I don't know if it was the altitude, but he started giving up some big numbers. Uh, he moved to San Francisco from there, and now he's at Pittsburgh, where he started to pitch better again this year. Uh, in four starts, he's got a 3.92 ERA. He's thrown 20 innings uh, with 21 strikeouts. Uh, this year, he's throwing a, his cutter a lot more. That must be a, a, a revelation for him of some sort because it's drastically increased its usage. So he's fastball, cutter, changeup guy uh, from the left side. So uh, you'll see it'll be interesting to see if that cutter and that changeup is actually pretty effective against the righties for the um for the royals because you can throw that cutter in on their hands and then you can fade that change up away from them and it can be baffling for a right-handed hitter to, to face that combo after that it'll be mike minor versus mitch keller i don't know if mitch keller is related to brad keller but i'm gonna pretend they're cousins even though <laughs> mitch keller mitch keller grew up in cedar rapids iowa which is not too far from uh from kansas city relatively speaking anyway um and keller's from texas i think but okay no, he's from georgia Oh, it's from Georgia, my bad. Yeah, you're yeah, Georgia. It's from Georgia. They're both 25, yeah. though. So in my mind, they just twin cousins. <laughs> Twins cousins. Twin cousins. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Keller's had a rough go of it so far, much like our Keller. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's got an ERA over seven, mostly a fastball slider guy, throws the fastball a lot, 55% of the time. Uh, he's been he's been giving up some runs this year. So that'll be a, an opportunity to sort of maybe jump on a struggling starter in that uh, Mitch Keller start. Uh, yeah, hopefully they're able to do that. Um, after the Pirates series, we uh, go see the Twins. No probables out for them yet, for that series just yet. Uh, but the Twins are struggling. And a lot of people, including myself, we really thought that the Twins were going to be competing against the White Sox as the two top teams in the division after a good year last year from them. Um, they're 7-13, and 13, which is fourth in the division right now. Um, they've got two wins in their last 13 games. So really struggling uh, recently. Nelson Cruz is hitting because he's a million years old and apparently will hit till he dies. Um, I don't know if that guy bathes in children's blood or what, what his know, deal yeah. is, but the it's like, crushes. it's amazing. How and you know, old he it's is crazy to think crushes. that before he went to the twins, he was out there and nobody wanted him. Yeah. Nobody wanted him. Wild. And he, he'd hit. I mean, it wasn't that he wasn't, but people were like, oh, he's old. And he goes to the twins and just crush him. And Byron Buxton is looking to have a breakout season after kind of he having a little is. bit of yeah, he's a been... roller coaster. He's on. Uh, he's there. He had a, well, everybody said he had a breakout season like two or three years ago, and then he fell off the face of the planet again, and now he's back up again. So he's there, Mondesi. Yeah, They've been waiting you. for a breakout for a similar long time. styles, even kind of like. But know. he he's got like a like a one point one four OPS or something like that. He's yeah. killing the wall. Speed right guys now. with power. They're both guys that can run in and have a little power. But they've str- struggled pretty much everywhere else offensively. So um, hopefully the Royals can uh, roll into there and take care of business. Like you have to do, keep a struggling team down. Yeah. Um, and that's the goal. And the weird thing is they're, they're losing a lot of games, a lot of close games. They're losing a lot of like uh, games that you hate to lose, right? Like they're not a bad team. It's not like they're getting blown out in these games. Uh, they're just finding ways to lose <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I think of the A's game that they had. They had this a, a, a game with the A's earlier this week that was like a back and forth 
they had it one in the 10th and then the A's come back and take the lead. It was like a big to do and the twins end up losing and it had to be a heartbreaker, but they've lost uh, quite a few close games this year. And I hope we catch them while they're down and they haven't sort of found their uptick because they're going to find their groove when it comes to, to actually winning these close games before too long. So let's try and get them while they're, while they're still in a losing mood. Yeah. What's something you're hoping to see from the Royals this week, Mike? Uh, really just two things. I'm really interested to see how Junis can bounce back after hitting his first kind of rough patch. There's, uh, this year he, he started his first two games as a starter. Well, the first one, I don't know if he, he was the starter, I guess, but he didn't go very long. Actually, he did go very long. He, did go, he, he, yeah, he killed like five, he, he was super pitch efficient. Yeah, yeah. And they were only planning on throwing him like 60 pitches or something, but he gave up, I think four runs in his last start. Uh, and you know, he struggled a bit in there. And it wasn't how he usually struggles. I think he may have given up one home run or something, but he wasn't like launching pad stuff. It was defensive struggles and walks and, and things like that. So how does he, does he come back out and show us what he was in those first two starts? The other thing that kind of interests me with that, and I got to throw this in there. Somebody mentioned on Twitter that he has the, like the highest amount of break on his cutter of anybody in the American league. And Alec uh, Lewis came out and said, no, that's because his, slider that's his slider like the thing that they're calling his cutters is four seamer when i look at his cutter i don't see a ton of break now i it's still going to be a good pitch for him because if you're going to throw 92 and it's going to be straight as a string you might as well throw 90 and get at least a little bit of break out of it Mm -hmm. but i would like to see if you know a little bit more break a little bit more movement to the cutter uh, than what i've seen so far obviously the slider is going to be there it's his best pitch but I'd just like to see, even if it means taking a little bit off that cutter to make it more movement, I will take that. Uh, the other thing I want to see from the Royals this week, small ball. Can they continue to do little things like steal bases, move runners, get guys in from third with less than uh, two outs? Can they continue to do that to win the close games, especially throughout a season as it keeps going and it drags and it drags and it drags and you're like, oh, you start to lose focus in a sense. Can they keep doing that? I hope I hope that they do because I enjoy watching that. Personally. Yeah, I think that's a fun brand of baseball. Um, yeah. It's almost like I'll a national league game. <laughs> well, sorry, what national on... league games used to be. <laughs> right. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll make a quick unless you got a what's his name uh, Jacob Degrom hitting for you, in which case, uh, you know, he's the new Shohei Otani. Uh, that's right. Just but let, him, let him rake. Just let him rake. I will make a quick point on Junis. I thought. He did give up some runs. He did get roughed up a little bit in that last start, but I thought it was really smart of him. I think he adjusted really well in that start. I think he realized that his cutter wasn't working for him very well, and he started throwing just a ton of sliders. A ton in of that sliders, game, lots um, of them. which was great because you need to make those kind of adjustments when you don't have your dominant stuff. And ultimately, kept the Royals in that game, uh, even though he gave up a few runs early. So yeah, I'll be interested to see if he comes back and that cutter is working for him again. Uh, in his next start i'm interested in this next week and just seeing the royals step on the twins throat right so uh they're down keep them down jump on them take that series and and really by the end of that series if the twins are down seven games eight games i think they're back six games right now it'll be pretty demoralizing for them i think that's important to win those division games and so i'd love to see them get those wins while the twins aren't playing very well are they going to pittsburgh yes Ooh, that's fun. So we get to see some of the pitchers hit. 
Yeah. That'll be I fun. wonder if Singer's, oh no, Singer's not going. Um, Singer always talks about how he could never hit and I would love to see him not actually be able to hit. Like, um, I'd love to see Singer at the plate, basically. So, uh, I mean, it changes the dynamic there. I mean, you think O'Hearn's probably not going to go in either of those games. You probably try and find a way to get Solaire in right field, I guess, then. Solaire's going to play right field, yeah. Um, yeah. Doge will play third, I'm guessing. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see those two games, what the, what kind of lineup they roll out. I'm hoping for you four might... wins again this week. Yeah. Same uh, because I really think the Pirates aren't that good. They're playing 500 ball right now, but they're not a super talented team. Um, and the Twins are down They sh- and the Tigers tomorrow. They should win that game. They should win every game they play against the Tigers. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but uh, I'd like to see them go at four and two again this week, at least. We'll end this episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting us outside of baseball. Uh, so, Mike, what have you been fascinated with outside the world of baseball this week? Well, um, I've been fascinated with this topic for a very long time, but I've really been hitting it hard this week. Uh, theology, right? The study of religion. Oh. And more... <laughs> uh, I feel like when you say that word, we should go like, a, no, like some the sort choir of should chime theologic in my... sound. That's yeah. right. Um, really the history of different religions. I'm a history teacher. I really dig, uh, that sort of stuff. You know, I've read several books on, on that. Well, and, and I like to mix it up. It's not just, uh, I like to learn about the history of Christianity, of Judaism, Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, all that stuff. I kind of go everywhere, but, uh, you know, you've mentioned a book that you, you actually turned me on to called Zealot, a good one on the history of Christianity, uh, no God, but God, a good one on uh, Islam. There's also several great, I'm a documentary nerd for those of you, all my friends out there listening, you know, I, I love to watch documentaries on Amazon Prime, especially a lot of great ones on there. And so, yeah, that's just what I've been doing at night to fall asleep. I turn on a documentary about theology and learn a little bit more till I fall asleep. Then I start it over again the next night. So uh, yeah, crazy. I think I've watched history of the popes, which is one of the ones on Amazon. Oh, at man, least the intro times. to that thing. Oh, it'll put you to sleep like that. I, know. I love it. The intro to, to the history of the popes is phenomenal. It's, it's actually a good book as well. It's based. It's it was a book before they turned it into a documentary, and the book is wild. Like, and here's the great thing too: if you can get one of these uh, theology documentaries with a British narrator, oh boy, that will put you down. All right, good naps, good yeah, naps, good great sleeps. Stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that our ASMR is. Uh, religion documentaries <laughs> from british dudes <laughs> from british oh, british narrator put me right asleep i love it um my just a bit outside uh thing for this week is uh, something i picked up on i i was watching youtube videos i've been i watch them frequently all the time but for some reason i keep getting this one ad that pops up before everyone i watch and in the ad they use john denver's thank god i'm a country boy in as a song right which is a great and song. so and so it got me thinking about like country songs and the ways that country songs depict people who are from rural America, but more importantly, the ways country songs depict people from urban America. Um, and it's interesting to me, and this is only a thing I think with inside, inside country music, that country songs depict city life and city people as like dangerous or elitist, right? It's weird because I don't, I can't recollect like other genres of music depicting rural America in any way, right? Like at all, you know, but country music seems to be obsessed with like one characterizing themselves, right? So characterizing rural life. If you think about songs like Amarillo Sky, for example, or 
Country Boy Can't Survive or This Cowboy's Hat. These are all songs that some of which depict just rural America and sort of an ethos of rural America. And some of them like Country Boy Can't Survive very negatively depict urban America. And I find that very interesting and weird, right? Like I can think about like the narratives I heard growing up in a small town about how dangerous the city was, about how like, you know, you'd get killed for your sneakers or something. And I was like, where does this come from? Like, <laughs> where well, is, you know, where's this notion? And that was always different for us too, because we had family that lived in urban Kansas City, you know, you live down in the city. And so we'd go down there as teenagers a lot, you know, and be like, oh, like I distinctly remember having conversations with people in high school. Oh yeah, where were you, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went down to downtown Kansas City and hung out with my brother and did all this. Oh man, was it dangerous? Like, were, are you okay? Like, yeah, like it wasn't anything. It was just being there, you know, we went and watched a game and we did this. It's like, no, no big deal. But we do, I mean, this yeah. is coming from two country music fans as well. We both love country. Right, huge country yeah. music fan. And there are just so many interesting ways that it gets done. Sometimes it's in ways that I would call like, really cynical and not really productive or healthy, like Country Boy Can't Survive, a song that I do love, uh, depicts like a, a person whose friend was murdered for $43. You know, it's like, that's just, you know, <laughs> or this Cowboy's Hat, another song that I love, which sort of depicts these bikers who are disrespectful, stuff that do doesn't really happen, but like in these songs, it sort of plays out. Um, but then there are other songs like Last of My Kind by Jason Isbell, which talks about sort of the uncomfortability that somebody from rural America feels when they, this, this character from rural America feels when they're spending time in the city and, and wondering like, am I the last person who, you know, has this set of values or believes in these things or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's, there are ways of doing it really well, like talking about sort of the displacement that people feel there. And then there are ways that I think are just like ridiculous and sort of feed this awful narrative uh, among certain people about like the way, uh, things are done in cities and things like that. Uh, so let me just assure you, for anybody who lives outside of cities, I don't live in a city either right now, but uh, I can tell you that uh, it's not the nightmarish hellscape you you may think it is. It's actually just the same kinds of people as you doing the same kinds of things with more chipotles, kind of things that allows with way more chipotles. Uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, that's what we have for this week. Quick, oh, quick question. Quick question. What's the number one country yeah. song of all time? That's too hard. I don't have. That's I'm too leaning hard. towards Amarillo by Morning just because I've been listening to it a lot lately. So think about that, and you should listen to there it. There are some country songs that, no matter what, I will always listen to them. Like um, Amarillo like, by Morning. <laughs> do you remember last year, some baseball commercial was using Willie Nelson's "You Were Always on My Mind," oh, God, and I would sense. stop and watch that commercial just to hear that song, right? Like, <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, there are some that would be up there. For me, that one would be up there to some degree. His version of uh, Georgia on my mind is very good too. It's also amazing, right? Uh, he's Mendocino County great. Line, the duet that he Fantastic does with song. I can't remember who, but it's a great song Fantastic too. Song. Uh, yeah, I can't. That's too hard. That's too hard to pick. But I'm gonna stick with Amarillo by Morning. Can't go wrong. Okay. Uh, but that's all we have for this week. You think about it. You think about what's the greatest country song of all yeah. time, and let us know. Send us on a, Twitter. Send us a DM. What's send the us greatest on country music song? What's of the greatest all time? country song of all? We time? accept both uh, kinds. Country, Country and Western. <laughs> uh, we'll see you all next week. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Spread the word. Let everybody know it's happening here at Royals Weekly. <laughs> <laughs>